Lord Jesus, thank you that you love every single one of us, listening, joining in, connecting. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. I pray that today we'll step into that love. I pray that today you'll take away everything that keeps us from your love. And may what you did for us on the cross come alive to us again today. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. This is how we know what love is. You lay down your life for us. Open our hearts, our eyes, our ears. Thank you that you love us. Speak to us now, we pray. Amen. Good morning again, Explore. It's, uh, it's good to be meeting, even if it is online again. And of course, the burning question and you know, everybody who's talking to anybody is saying, come on, guys, let's get together again. And when are we meeting together again? Uh, that's just on all of our hearts and minds. And it's a good question. And the answer is as soon as possible. Um, but we've got several other factors that we have to take into account, not least of which that we're part of a church where other congregations have first call on our main venue. Uh, so our timing might have to be different. Or if we go back to the school, we're waiting to hear from the school at Pinehurst Primary and what their permissions would be, what their conditions are, and we haven't yet received that information. So promise you we want to get this thing going. Um, but we're simply having to decide, um, consult more widely. So working on this, waiting for feedback. Uh, what I can pro say is that once we meet in person, this is just my own feeling and, and a couple of the others, um, for numerous reasons, we're unlikely to have a hybrid of online and in person. So we're going to give it horns in online. Notice I don't say virtual church because I think virtual church isn't. But, but this online connection, um, but at the same time, when we make the change, then we're going to make the change properly. So stay tuned and be ready. And even as some of these changes are happening, thank you to Gary and Hillary who have done so much during this time, including to Hillary for this wonderful ministry of the guided prayer that we have received each week via WhatsApp. And... Yeah, just seeing healing, connection, worship, freedom, gentleness, courage, together with so many testimonies. Um, and, and Hillary, we say thank you. The season is changing. And so the weekly online prayer is going to be moving towards in-person contact. But Hillary, God has used you and we are grateful for that. So thank you for faithfully doing from way back uh, during lockdown, that weekly guided prayer that has been so life-giving for so many of us. 
So let's get back to John's first letter to the church. We know it is 1 John and it is written primarily to help us recognize truth. And for John, there are three tests. I'll remind you of those. The first is theological. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the flesh. God has sent his Son in the flesh. The second test for truth is moral. True faith produces a good life. It produces holiness. We begin to walk like Jesus did. And, and the third test is social. True faith produces a life of love for others, for the people around us. And so remember that as we now pick up at verse 5. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5. We did verse 5 last week. This is the message we heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we're going to dive right in. The first thing we learn, remember we saw that last week, God is light. There's no dualism. In him there is no darkness at all. But if we take light seriously, then we are confronted by the reality that we have to take darkness seriously. Yes, evil is temporary. Evil is not equal to God. But evil is the opposite of God, and evil is definitely in opposition to God. And so we're kidding ourselves, we're deluding ourselves, we're mistaking ourselves if we do not understand. Point number one, sin must be taken seriously. And so what John does is he writes three about three uh, popular myths about sin and and these continue and his wording might be slightly different to ours I'm going to put it a little bit more in everyday language and the first claim that people make about sin that is very misleading is that sin doesn't affect my relationship with God I I claim to have fellowship with him yet I walk in the darkness the second is that sin is just a social construct there's no there's no such thing really as sin we are without sin why because there isn't sin and then well if there isn't really sin and sin doesn't affect my relationship with God well then I'm certainly not a sinner 
I haven't sinned. So even if we <laughs> then eventually do concede maybe that something like sin exists, we like to push it into the really bad category. I mean dire category. Sin must be really bad, disgusting and terrible and dire before we begin to think of it as something uh, in the world and and we like to think of it as something only a really bad person does. Now, there's a bit of a contradiction here. Because at first we're saying sin doesn't affect my relationship to God. The next lie is, is that, well, sin is not, there's no such thing as sin. Sin is just a social construct. And the next one is, well, I certainly haven't sinned. The problem is, is if you tease this out... You live with this contradiction that at some point some things are wrong. Some things are right, some other things are wrong. But if you follow this logic of the passage, it doesn't affect my relationship with God, it's just a social construct, and I'm not really a sinner, eventually nothing becomes too bad. There's, there's no handbrake on immorality. Nothing ever qualifies as a sin. A man called... Peter Malkin was a Jewish man who lost eight members of his immediate family in the Holocaust of World War II. His Jewish family was murdered by the Nazis. In particular, he lost his sister and a dear little nephew, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed boy who happened to be Jewish. And Peter Malkin was also the man who tracked down the infamous uh, Nazi war criminal Erich Eichmann. He tracked him down to South America and, and Malkin then describes a scene where Eichmann has settled and he finds him there seemingly oblivious to the wrong he has done, started a new life and ironically and Eichmann has his own blonde-eared, blue-eyed six-year-old son. And Malkin, recognizing the evil, captures Eichmann and in one instant tries to understand him, tries to engage in conversation with him, to reach him. And so Peter Malkin compares Eichmann's son with his little nephew, hoping to see some realization, some sorrow, some recognition, some regret, even dare he hope, some repentance. However, Erich Eichmann, I'm considering the two boys, merely matters. But your nephew was Jewish, wasn't he? Now, now I'm deliberately using such a dire and terrible example to make the point we need to, sin, uh, need to see. Remember the lies this passage is showing us about sin. First in verse 6, then in verse 8, and then in verse 10. The first lie is it doesn't affect my relationship with God. It doesn't affect my relationship with others. I, I just rationalize it. Sin is just a social construct. There isn't really such a thing as right and wrong. And I certainly then, at the end of the day, am not a sinner. And we make God out to be a lie. Once we go there, even for the little innocent so-called sins, eventually, if we start believing those lies about sin... Nothing we do is wrong, and anything we do goes. And we end up with a kind of 
hideous actions of Erich Eichmann. And we're unable to say about those things that that is immoral or fundamentally wrong. And scripture brings us to a reality check. It says, not so. There is light. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. There is truth. And there are lies. And there is right. And there is wrong. Which means there is righteousness. And there is sin. And I sin whenever I do something wrong. You see, our first protection against evil and sin is bringing everything into the light. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, verse 7, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Our protection is to walk into the fellowship of the light. And so don't be fooled. Don't be taken by these ever popular lies about sin. That sin doesn't affect your connection to God. That sin is just a social construct. And that certainly it's completely unreasonable to think of yourself as a sinner. No, no, no. God is light. And we have to step into the light to deal with this. And I was just chatting to Hillary this morning. And part of her devotions is the recognition and the prayer is that when I get closer to God, the more I get closer to God, the more I actually become aware of my imperfections as I see his perfection. I don't excuse this stuff. I deal with it more systematically, more deliberately, more ruthlessly. Why? Because I recognize that I need to take sin seriously. In fact, God takes sins seriously, so seriously, that it cost him the life of his son. Which leads to our next point. We need to take sin seriously, but sin has a remedy. God's word and God's promise and this passage is saying that no matter how destructive and damaging evil and sin are, they do not have the final say. Sin has a remedy. What is the remedy? Sin has a remedy. What is the remedy? Now if you're in Sunday school, you would know that the answer is always Maybe Jesus, but not so fast. You see, it's important to understand that sin's remedy has a context. We saw this a little bit last week, but I want to remind you of it over here. An integral part, so sin's remedy, sin as a remedy, and as it were, a little preface to this is to say that an integral part of the remedy for sin is to step into real, vulnerable, transparent, and safe community. Notice that when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we'd expect it to say we have fellowship with him. We have fellowship with God. But we start by having fellowship with one another. It's the vulnerable, safe community that we need to create with and for one another into which we can speak the truth about ourselves into a circle of love. You know, one of the dangers when we form a small group or a life group and, and someone starts becoming vulnerable 
is, is that we listen to their struggle. We may even hear their confession of sin. And instead of in that moment ministering to them, listening and then doing what Jesus would do for them, we become complicit by quickly adding, and we don't realize that we might just be validating the fact that none of us are really changing. We end up just saying, well, me too. Now, if we think about that, if it's me too, and then we say, let's go to Jesus together to fix this, that's, that's, that's okay. But if I come to you and, and I say, man, I'm really struggling with this, and I want to change, I want to break out, and all you do is say, well, me too, then, then we're left in this place where the two of us now are just validating the fact that we're fellowshipping, but we're not in the light. We've told each other something, but we're not finding the power to change. We're not finding sin's remedy. You see, there is a fellowship that makes walking in the light possible, where we are transparent with one another and where we walk to the, the remedy. You know, what we need to remember in our life groups, in our ministry, is that Jesus is always at the center of the circle. And, you know, just imagine sitting there, Jesus with his 12, and, and you're in it. And you say to Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling with grief. I'm, I'm struggling with hurt. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with discouragement. I'm struggling with this. And, and you describe something that is destructive or even evil. Jesus is never going to say to you, me too. He doesn't have that weakness. He knows what it is to be tempted, but he never sinned. And so what we need to do is whenever we form this community of walking in the light, we need to remember there's someone in our circle who never says of our sin, me too. He just never, never went there. And he wants to teach us to become like him. Sin has a remedy. But it is going to take being honest with one another, walking to the light. So yes, we do need to build the courage, build the safety, build the confidentiality, build the trust to the point where we can be honest with ourselves and with God. If we don't, we're in danger of deceiving ourselves and making God into a liar, is what the passage says. But the main point about the remedy of Jesus for sin is that sin has a remedy because Jesus died for us and he died in our place. In chapter 2, verse 2, we see the climax of this little section describing Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins and also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, Jesus died for everyone and he gave himself to make atonement. Now, what does this mean? What does atoning sacrifice mean? It's using Old Testament language, an Old Testament image or even a type in which sin was dealt with by the offering of a substitute of something in the place of the one who sinned. It was an offering. In the Old Testament, it was often symbolized by a lamb or a goat. But of course, 
offering a lamb for a person who had sinned wasn't a real substitute. A bit like swapping a plastic toy car for an actual Ferrari. You wouldn't be okay with that. And at the same time, the passage in verse 9 says that this process of unlocking forgiveness was because of God's God being faithful and just. That this is an expression of God's faithful justice. How can someone offering themselves in your place, in my place, be an expression of faithful justice? Isn't, isn't justice about punishing those who've done wrong rather than forgiving them? How can substitution even be just? How can it be right? Well, this little letter, together with the rest of Scripture, but even in just this little letter, it gives four answers to this question of how substitution can even be right. So let me, let me point to those. I'll, I'll just name them so that they kind of land there, and then I'll just give them to you from the text. The first is that for substitution to be legitimate, the substitute for a human sinner must be another human, an authentic uh, substitute. You can't put an... You know, an under-18 hockey player as a substitute in an under-11 team. It's not an authentic substitution. Jesus had to be fully human, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, like us in every way. He shared in our flesh and blood. He was an authentic substitute. Secondly, the substitute must be provided by God and be God, for God alone can save. Thirdly, the substitute must be without fault and without sin. And lastly, the substitute must give themselves voluntarily. It would be a travesty if the substitute were forced to take someone else's place. So let me look at those. Does the text show us that Jesus was authentically human? Absolutely. The first line of the letter, John says, we heard him, we saw him, we touched him. Jump to chapter 4 and verse 2. He talks about Jesus, God's Son, come in the flesh. We, we use that when we're confessing um, at baptism. Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? God's Son, come in the flesh. Was he authentically human? Check. Yes, he was. Was he provided by God? Verse 7 says, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. He, he wasn't just provided by God. He was God's own son and he was God the son was Jesus without sin chapter 2 verse 1 he is described as our advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one Jesus alone in all human history was without sin and was Jesus willing well my opening prayer this morning in, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus was willing to take your place and mine. And so Jesus fulfilled every requirement and condition. And when scripture says God is faithful and just, God is not being faithful as it were so much towards us. And he's certainly not executing justice on us. He's ex executing justice in relationship with Jesus. Because if Jesus took our place and has been the atoning sacrifice for our sins and has laid down his life for us, 
if we have put our faith in Jesus, God would be unjust to not forgive and to not purify. And notice the two things. It's both forgiveness in a sense that legal, you know, you were liable, now you are forgiven. But also we were defiled. Sin is dark and sin is dirty and it does stuff to us and it leaves us contaminated. And not only are we declared not guilty, we are washed clean. We are purified in an unsearchable exchange. The righteousness of Jesus, he didn't just die for us, but his righteous life is now credited to us. And so Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 famously says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we have to take sin seriously. And, but at the same time, sin has a remedy. The remedy is Jesus. But we have a responsibility. We need to step into the light, own up, confess our stuff, and do the work of repenting. That was Jesus' so like punchline of his ministry. Repent. It's time for real change. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's breaking in. I'm reminded of the story of John Wimber, a man with an incredible ministry of releasing people into gifts uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, became the founder, uh, not that he aspired to it, but of what we know today as the movement of vineyard churches. And, and, and he started out his adult life as a hippie musician in a band, very ironically called the Righteous Brothers. <clears throat> Um, and like most hippies, they were anything but righteous. But like many hippies, uh, John and his wife Carol became deeply interested, fascinated by, and drawn to the person of Jesus. So John and his wife Carol, they were befriended by um, a group that were meeting in a home nearby. And this group was a group of Christians. And... And, and they were looking at the person of Jesus. And, and the more they studied, John says, the more I began to think that Jesus really was the way. Jesus looked like the business. It, it really tallied up. And not only was I drawn to him, not only did I admire him, I, I began to, in my head, think this is it. And so he enjoyed the discussion, he enjoyed the debate, but everything changed one night when, after the conversation, who, when his wife Carol, who in John's words was the nicest person he knew and certainly didn't, wasn't a sinner, after the discussion and looking at who Jesus was, what he had done, sin and its effect on us, and Jesus and his substitutionary atonement, she got on the floor on her knees and started crying. And from that place, she started asking Jesus to forgive her, to wash her, to cleanse her, to change her, to make her new and take the lead on his life. And, and John describes, he's like, she's the last person I know who needs to repent. And yet, yes, she is owning her stuff. And then he realized this isn't an academic discussion. He says, I started sweating bullets because it dawned on him that this is what I've got to do 
if I want the grace in the person of Jesus. I can't deny my sin. I can't hide from it. I need to bring it into the light. And I'm in this place, need to confess to him what I have done and who I am without him and believe in him with all my heart that he might save me. And so John says the next thing he knew, he was on the floor next to Carol, confessing that he too was a sinner and desperately needed Jesus to save him. And the group around them just stayed with them, loved them, leading them and letting them make their peace with God. See, John was discovering in that moment, it's one thing to talk about Jesus. It's one thing to get the information. But we have a responsibility. In the light of what Jesus has done for us, we have a responsibility. And that is to confess, deal with our stuff, and put our faith in Jesus, and let him begin to make us new. Now, let me say this about confession, and about repentance, and about forgiveness. Although these are the keys that take you in for that first time, they certainly don't leave you there as if that's the only time. They are the keys for every step you will take in the kingdom life. And confession will then won't just be recognizing bad things. You'll begin to verbalize the good things. We begin to confess Jesus as Lord. We begin to speak the words. Jesus said man will not live on bread alone by, by every word that proceeds that comes out of in a sense gets spoken and confessed by the mouth of God we begin to align our words and life flows and so these basic things they're absolutely essential for first but we never outgrow them why because we are not going to reach the point where we done this certainly we can't atone for ourselves but even once we've trusted in Jesus we don't get to perfection and so John writes with this wonderful warm tone my dear children I write this so that we won't sin but if anyone does sin we have one who speaks to the father in our defense he's our advocate Jesus Christ the righteous one we can't atone for ourselves but we don't need to. However, we have a responsibility to be honest, step into the light, and let God deal with our stuff. And so John Wimber famously wrote a song then, out of this encounter with Jesus, that simply became known as the Jesus Song. And as I close... Let me simply quote those words. And maybe you want to close your eyes and receive this as a blessing. Receive this as an invitation. Open your heart. He discovered that he needed to step into this space with God. And so he wrote this. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you with his Spirit. And his love. Let him fill your heart and satisfy your soul. And then this 
Oh, let him have the things that hold you. How do you do that? You confess them to him. You acknowledge them. Then you break with them. Let him have the things that hold you. And his spirit, like a dove, will descend upon your life and make you whole. So Jesus, today we give you those things that would hold us from you. And Lord, we come and recognize that the enemy has a strategy to tell us that sin is not a problem, sin doesn't get in the way, sin is just a social construct. We can have a life with you, but still do our own thing. And that, that, that we're certainly not sinners. And, and we nail those lies to the cross of Jesus. And we break agreements with you. Sin, you, we see you for what you are. And we do not believe your lies. And we break from this. And we repent of joining with it. And we turn to the truth. And we receive the truth. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so we receive right now a fresh trust in Jesus. And we commit to creating the kind of communities that walk in the light. We commit to a fellowship in the light. Lord Jesus, may it be that as we give to you and we deal with, with one another the things that hold us, that your spirit, like a dove, will literally come, descend upon our lives, and make us whole. So why, why don't you pray that? Just say, come Holy Spirit. That's one thing to deal with. <laughs> the negative stuff, it's another thing then, out of that place, out of that forgiveness, to say, Holy Spirit, I welcome you. Come. Make me whole. Make me like Jesus. I ask in His name.